Industry Pods and Evergreen Podcast Network are pleased to present the following podcast. This content is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial or other advice. Nothing contained on here constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement or offer by Draper Gorenholm or any third-party service provider to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments whatsoever. All right, here we are. Session 60 of Blockchain and Booze. I'm back in LA, spent some time in New York, did a couple sessions over there. And uh, back in my hometown, I'm very, very, very excited for what we got cooking today. I got three amazing speakers, each experts in their own respect. Uh, and we're gonna be talking about creator DAOs. But before I jump into that, really quick, if you're new to Blockchain and Booze, welcome. Go to meet.blockchainbooze.io. Go join the conversation live. Go dump some questions in the QA and join all the others that are drinking and hanging out and having a good time. So for those that don't know me, my name is Adam Levy. I'm the Ops Manager at Draper Gorn Home and the host of Blockchain and Booze. Cheers to everyone that's tuning in live. To Cheers to everyone that's new uh, and cheers to all those who are coming back. Uh, and a quick plug, shout out to our media partner, Cointelegraph. Shout out to Blockchain Radio and shout out to DGH, Draper Gorn Home. So quick brief about us in case you guys don't know. Uh, we invest in early stage blockchain startups, and it just so happens that we also produce the best events in crypto from LA Blockchain Summit, LA Blockchain Week, the Global DeFi Summit, the NFT Summit. We just had the Security Token Summit. We got Alon Gorns, What the Block, and your very own Blockchain and Boost. So enough of me talking. Let's bring up our speakers. We got Kinjal, we got Cooper Trooper, and we got Trevor. What is going on, guys? Welcome to Blockchain yo, and Yo, yo, yo. Yo, yo, yo. Hey. What's up? I think this is the most energy I've gotten on stage, bringing people up. So I appreciate that. Cheers to you guys. How's everyone feeling? Feeling great, man. Feeling great. Another day. Gone off the spin drift, you know, getting crazy. Nice. Nice. Another day in paradise, as I like to say. Uh, really quick, I want to get started because we only got so much time. So let's start with intros real quick. We'll start with Kinjal. We'll go to Trevor and end with Koopa Troopa. Uh, and give a quick brief about yourselves, what you guys do. Uh, when you got started in crypto and what you're drinking. Kinjal, take it away. Sounds great. Um, thank you for having me. So I'm on the blockchain capital investment team. We do early stage investing in the crypto space. And I've been there for about three years now. And I spend a lot of time looking at the DeFi space, NFTs, DAOs, so on and so forth. Um, I actually got into crypto four years ago at Fidelity. So I was on the financial services side got put on a project looking at the blockchain space and then kind of fell in love and wanted to go deeper. Um, and so I've been doing this ever since. And I'm drinking water. Really, really lame today. <laughs> Super lame. Best That's drink ever. Don't let anyone <laughs> tell you differently. Yeah, I, I'm going to tell you differently, Kinjal. Definitely not the best drink ever, but we'll let it slide. I'll drink for you. Cheers. Trevor, what, uh, what's up with you, man? Tell me your story up, and what you're drinking. I'm Trevor Fedrich. I'm the CEO of a startup called Brud. You probably have seen little Michaela of our virtual characters. We're building kind of like a modern Marvel or Disney. I also work with Cooper on Birth of Benefits, which is uh, you know this curation DAO that was kind of born out of a, a fun little side project a, a little weekend. It's been like really special and something I'm really proud of. Uh, I'm drinking Spindrift because it's been a long, crazy week. Also, I'm still strange. I don't drink. So this is this is a lot of blockchain and not booze thus far, but I'm excited to bring as much energy as I possibly can on this lovely Tuesday afternoon in Los Angeles. And you're on fire, dude. Cooper, take it away. Team Sober Gang over here. Me and Trevor, <laughs> you know, blockchain and not booze. We're staying the anti-movement. 
But uh, yo, thank you for having me, Adam. This show is fantastic. I absolutely love all the guests you have. For those that I don't know here, Koopa Troopa, uh, working on all things creator economy, currently running crypto strategy at Audius, helping Trevor with the beautiful FWB community, and just uh, widely helping creators use crypto. Got into the space about four years ago through music. You know, it's kind of a vertical that I'm really passionate about and um, really love the idea of using smart contracts, to expedite payments, and just help all types of creators get paid in new and creative ways. So excited to be here and excited to dive into Creator DAOs tonight. Amazing, dude. This is also your second time on the show. We did uh, the first one you were on with Blau and we did a whole music NFT type of collab deep dive. So welcome back on, brother. Welcome back on. Pleasure to be here. And if I yeah. do say so myself, the timing on the Blau podcast was perfection right before the NFT hype took off. So if I can say anything about what's coming next, I think Creator DAOs are a perfect topic for us to get into tonight. Hey, man. And it's exactly why I had to move around the schedule and get this topic on the board today. So speaking of creator DAOs, OK, this is a buzzword that's like trending uh, on crypto Twitter, primarily through your profile. Troopa, uh, Coop, I called you Troopa Cooper <laughs> uh, and a bunch of other related following profiles. So give me a quick definition and I'd love to kind of hear both all three of your takes on how you guys kind of see creator DAOs and how you define it. So let's start with Cooper. We'll go to Trevor and end with Kinjal. Give me a quick definition of how you look at creator DAOs and what problem they solve. Yeah, so I'd say this is basically a way for a community to organize financial capital. You know, in the world that we see today, there's a lot of online communities. Very few of these have financial resources. And a creator DAO is basically a way to put all of those resources together into a community pot and have a vehicle to basically govern and utilize those funds in a productive manner. So um, from a high level, you know, crypto is sort of a very financial first ecosystem. And what's exciting about creator DAOs is taking social capital and basically putting that into a financial nature. Yeah, I think Cooper nailed it. The one thing I would say is that I think we saw NFTs disrupt the individual creator value chain. I think there's opportunities for creator DAOs, you know, uh, kind of media DAOs to restructure and kind of disrupt the kind of media organization value chain. And I think what you're going to see is larger organizations realizing that these things and aligning those incentives uh, makes for a far more productive and, and net positive uh, outcome for everyone involved, whether it's individual creators on the team or kind of management and other folks. Amazing. Can John? Yeah, I, I mean, I think both um, both you guys nailed it. I One sort of framing that I like to think about is creators are kind of becoming their own small businesses. And I think using a DAO is one way for them to actually formalize what that means for them to become this, you know, brand and business and what they, you know, what their community stands for is a way for them to organize and then potentially generate revenue um, and go from there. And this is something uh, Cooper, you and Kinjal kind of wrote about and published this week on microeconomy. So we'll dive deep on that in just a minute. But just like dissecting everyone's definition, Cooper, you brought up the easiest way or uh, an efficient way, at least, to raise capital for groups right, in a decentralized manner. How do communities kind of approach raising, fundraising, without really diluting uh, the value of the community? Because many times, at least for people who are not super crypto native, the second you start integrating money into the mix, right? It's a pay to play, pay, play to contribute, pay to contribute, excuse me. People start to get weird about it, right? So explain to me that process and how you kind of maneuver around that to create it as, as the most authentic way to, to bring a community together. Yeah, I'd sort of call out that um, fundraising to me is like a very V2 or V3 thing for a lot of communities. You know, just having an asset that's a community token that's shared amongst everyone is kind of like the simplest form of coordination. You know, many times these tokens don't actually even have a financial value associated with it. It's just social currency amongst a shared group of friends or individuals. And if you can get to a point where it's far enough along and decentralized, 
I think then you start to see more serious interest from token investors, from crypto funds, et cetera, et cetera. And at that point, the community can collectively decide to offset some of their social capital in the form of this token to you know, more sophisticated investors. But I would definitely um, you know, double down on that point that when you bring in you know, other assets into the mix, things do get a little bit hairy. So for 90% of communities, I think starting with the community token and figuring out how to incentivize people without financial you know, stuff at play is kind of like V1. And from there, you can kind of build bigger things over time. So I, I guess it's a great point. And I guess like back to the original definition of, of what a creator DAO, uh, I want to zoom out and all three of you kind of think about this for a minute. Like what's happening in the world right now that's led or that's leading to this kind of fundamental shift in how creators are approaching and monetizing their communities. Like what's going on in the world that's that's prompting this type of change. And feel free anybody to jump in. Yeah, I mean, there are so many things, but I think on the macro, there's this pendulum that kind of swings between like regulatory protection for like the individual retail investor. And then also, you know, kind of swings back to like, you know, allowing them to participate in all the financial upside that private markets have seen, especially over the last 20 years. So all of these big, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, web two uh, financial upsides, the kind of like Zuckerberg billions and the kind of Andreessen Horowitz billions, they're kind of flowed to a small subset of people, I think, Folks are trying to participate in those things. And you see, you know, with the kind of like GameStop stuff and this Robinhood options moment and, you know, the dog coins or whatever else, there's clearly a desire to, to, to participate in some of these, uh, you know, novel technologies. And so I think that's one macro thing. Um, I'll, I'll let, let, let Kuv and Kajal speak to other stuff. I guess I would say this, there's like this overarching feeling that everything needs to be financialized in the market right now. And I think we're seeing that not just in crypto, but outside of crypto. And it's converging at the same time where anybody can create a business online, anybody can become a business, anybody can start on TikTok um, or Instagram or whatever it may be. I'm sure COVID was an accelerant to a certain extent with people just being home and bored and wanting to do something with the spare time. And we've seen all these like really interesting ideas pop up overnight and on TikTok and become you know, now reasonably sized business. And so I think it's like the confluence of it's never been easier to start today. And also it's never been more like, uh, I guess the financial incentives have never been more um, at, at large and at play than we are seeing today. So probably both of those things. Amazing. Cooper, anything to add to that? Yeah, just say that the barriers to entry are getting a lot lower. You know, I think um, for the past 10 to 20 years, if you wanted to invest, they required a lot of financial literacy. And now with crypto, we're seeing that, you know, TikTok is somewhere where people are finding tokens to trade. Things like Robinhood are really accessible to people. And so when you take all those elements combined, you know, it doesn't seem too far off to want to invest in the brands and creators that you spend the most time contributing to on a daily basis. And I think creator DAOs are just the first way that, you know, anyone can participate in any economy, regardless of where they are in the world or what skills they have to offer. So all three of you guys kind of mentioned gamifying like markets, very low barriers to entry and into becoming a creator, especially TikTok, literally printing influencers left and right at a rate like we've never seen before. And I'd even argue to some extent, like a lot of these influencers are just wishy whammy. Like they're not like the influencers that have the most influence, just the way the algorithm works allows them to gain a lot of followers. Right. Uh, but all of you guys talked about very low barriers to entry in, in creating a personality, creating an influence, but still the onboarding to the creator economy from a Web3 point of view is very shitty, like very, very bad, right? Uh, the whole education around crypto uh, is, is not where it needs to be. You have fucking meme coins and shit coins flying off the map and people aping into them and retail investors getting screwed and 
like the narrative behind crypto is like in a weird spot right now and really reminds me of, of the energy from 2017. So how can we get to a point where Web3 creators or I guess Web2 creators, how can we get to a point where we onboard them into the Web3 business model, right? Monetizing their communities by creating DAOs. Like how can we reduce that barrier to entry? I kind of take a first stab at that. You go for it. Yeah, I'm just going to say that, um, you know, like I think emphasizing community ownership and governance is really important. The one thing that we see with all of these shit coins is that it's financial first. It's always about how much money can I put in and how much money can I get out? You know, I said before, social capital is really valuable. And the one thing that I see working in creator DAOs is when you lean into social status within a community and then you have a token associated with that. I think just kind of nailing it on the head at the outset and saying there's a token with the financial value, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to build meaningful relationships amongst our members. And if there happens to be value created from that, you know, the token will take care of itself. Like that narrative feels a lot better to me than like, here's a contract address, go and throw a couple ETH into it and hope to, to God that it's getting your 10X. Yeah, I kind of heard two questions there. I think, you know, Coop, just to kind of pick back on what he said, I think with parts of benefits, we were really focused on just trying to build a community that we are passionate about, but like the score would take care of itself uh, as far as like token price or anything like that. The other piece I kind of heard you speaking to is kind of like the friction involved with Web3 and kind of like, you know, we've all probably walked a friend through, you know, setting up MetaMask or whatever it is and thought it was super hard. I actually kind of maybe like a contrarian take there that I think, the idea that we can make all these tools or you know you know uh, easier kind of obfuscate the blockchain it, to me is like a little bit uh, incorrect and I think it's quite paternalistic and I actually like the nature of kind of this each one teach one dynamic we have to kind of pull friends together and kind of have this real social intimate experience of like this is how you do this this is how you get onboarded welcome to the club uh, and the second piece of that I think is that I see a lot of creators who have lived in this you know in my opinion more exploitative web two world who kind of are just like pushing merch on kids from YouTube or whatever, treating this as more transactional experiences. And the reality is it's more of an interactive one. So if you're gonna build a community and like really contribute both ways, I just expect them to like, you know, buy your NFT and kick them to the curb, whatever it is. Um, the last thing oh. I would just say, so I completely agree, but if I think back to 2017, it, it was, you know, all this madness, but at the end of the day, there was a little bit of a, there was a kernel of truth that Ethereum was great for bootstrapping these networks and you know we we saw with DeFi that you can basically build a product build a community and then launch a token very very successfully once you have that network there um, and those users there so we saw that happen on the DeFi side and i would imagine that we're going to continue to see that type of evolution on the creator side where um as cooper mentioned like you need a community first and you need them to kind of buy into this idea of the community before you can even launch some sort of token and expect them to to kind of contribute just for personal like social capital reasons yeah yeah for sure like what you guys keep like we keep talking about these influencers building up fame whatever traction on TikTok. uh i have a friend who's done really really well on TikTok. i grew up with him he does a lot of dentist related videos he's built quite an audience but his audience is primarily like like little girls and, and like teenage girls right and like how how can an audience like that like tap into the world of web3 like these very untraditional, like in crypto, it makes a lot of sense, right? Everyone's like very pro crypto. They they want to invest in, in these communities. They want to join these Discord channels. They like throwing money left and right just to experiment and be early users in a lot of things. But now we have someone like my friend who's working to become a dentist. Majority of his audience are young girls, right? Or teenage girls, or maybe even like mid 20 females, okay? Uh, and he wants to leverage the power of Web3, create a DAO, issue a social token, uh, include like dentistry related perks. Like how, how does he really like manifest his transition 
and his audience into that environment. The dream of Dentacoin realized. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking that. <laughs> and I only bring that up. I only bring that up because it's such a unique use case, right? But I feel like we're going to see a lot of those communities, right? Because everybody builds their niche and builds their audience online. So like, just play with that for a minute. Yeah. yeah I'll say, you know, so uh, with Michaela, one of our characters, most of our audience is young women. And, you know, we went out of our way to kind of, uh, you know, basically like front the gas fees, distribute NFTs for free to people who wanted to like participate in a, in a tweet and kind of reply. And so the idea is to kind of like extend the olive branch first and say, hey, this thing has some friction to require you learning, but we're gonna go and you know, give you something first to encourage you to come, you know, hop in the pool with us. And I think that's important. A lot of people kind of expect people just to migrate to their spaces. Unless you're crypto native, it can be a lot of work. And so I would say like, you know, lean as much as possible, try and create as much value as possible in this community. And then hopefully they'll kind of come and see what it's worth and like spread the good gospel. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I would build on to that, that, um, you know, these communities live on a spectrum. I think this gets into the micro economy stuff we talked about earlier, but not all these communities need to be billion dollar protocols. You know, for something like your dentist friend, you know, having a group with 20 to 50 really dedicated fans that are contributing to videos actively and trying to get involved on whatever degree that is. I have no clue what these videos are from what you presented it as, but being able to have some like say over what he's filming or sort of like access to like the people he's interviewing or whatever is going on in those videos. Um, you know, using a token-based voting system as a way to do that feels like a really ambitious but interesting goal. You know, if people are coming back and recurringly watching these videos, giving them a way to share in their experience of being early to that project, I think regardless of the financial upside, just having some sort of token of time saying like, I was early to this and I've been a supporter before anyone else. Like that's kind of the missing ingredient that I think tokens offer that we haven't really been able to do with our traditional fandom in the past. Yeah, fair, fair point. Kinjal, do you want to add anything to that? I think, yeah, I, I totally agree. It's Perfect. it's one where you kind of have to um, connect with the super fan, I guess, yeah. in this instance, and then kind of sure. go from there. Sure. So when it actually comes to governing a, a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization, this mouthful of a word, okay, we see a lot of people like Friends with Benefits, right, issue the FWB coin, uh, which full disclosure, I'm also part of a Friends with Benefits killer community uh but like that's right you see, that's right disclosure yeah. that baby i love it yeah i have to i have to full transparency always um but a lot of these communities are backed by social tokens and incur voting power and governance through tokens uh but others are also encountering governance through nfts right how do you kind of differentiate differentiate yourselves and what approach you should take and maybe even it's a dual approach like, how do you approach that 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 process of okay? Maybe we should just create fractionalized NFTs, distribute them to a bunch of people, uh, and determine voting power that way. Or let's go let's go balls deep. Let's freaking let's draw let's let's push a token out, right? Like, where where is that fine line? I'll uh, go first on this one. I want to hear thoughts from everyone else. So the way I think of this is NFTs are for ephemeral moments in time. So if there's a specific instance or event that you're trying to release around, capturing that with an NFT feels really good. I view social tokens kind of the glue that holds all of those events together over a longer period of time that has kind of collective ownership over a very long time period. So I don't think that social tokens are for everyone right out of the gate, but I think what it does do is give you a nice sort of gel that if you are releasing NFTs consistently, or you want to have more of a active voice across all of your web three ambitions, you know, having a token that has governance over a DAO gives you a nice home base to kind of continue to release NFTs and have a vehicle that they're all kind of contained in. It's a good differentiator. 
Trevor or Kinjal, do you guys want to add to that? I guess I would say I, I feel similarly. I think of um, DAOs as kind of being like a living, breathing organism. It sounds a little weird when I say it out loud, but like people are coming and going. There's going to be um, folks who contribute more or less. Like not every vote is necessarily going to be equal when I when it comes to like actual contribution. And that's just, you know, that's just kind of how communities work and life works. And so I think having a social token um, within the community is more representative of like the lifetime of what that community does versus the NFT is, is more of an instance, which is effectively what Cooper said, just slightly different way of thinking about it, I guess. Yeah, they both nailed it. Perfect. So just to build off of that more, okay, you go with the social token route. One thing to consider, and this is a, a family friend who brought this up, which was an interesting point of view. Uh, all these social tokens, they kind of borrow future value uh, to monetize the present, right? In a way, like, uh, for example, like a personal or creator token that requires token ownership to access, I don't know, certain perks, uh, Discord channels, whatever. Uh, if successful, kind of prices out future fans to some extent, right? For example, Another community that I love and adore is the whale community, okay? And they have different tiers for accessing different benefits. If you own this amount of tokens, you get this type of access, et cetera, et cetera. Now, as a token appreciates, let's say it does, okay? Or it declines, whatever. Assuming in a, in a world where the value goes up and all boats rise with the tide, uh, how do you kind of like mitigate pricing out future fans and, and future uh, community members that kind of discovered it five years from now because all this stuff is super early uh, and... How do they how do they join and how do you kind of make sure you include everyone into the mix without pricing them out? I think this is a wider issue beyond just social tokens. You know, I think the same argument could be made for DeFi tokens and just sort of the way that this industry is built. You know, it's so nascent that it's hard to predict what that's going to look like in the future. The simplest answer I could give here is that should a community become successful enough that people can't join, that's a really good problem to have. And it's my belief that governance will be able to find ways to sort of reduce those barriers to entry. So one thing I'll call up for FWB is we have scholarships where if someone can't afford a membership, they're able to basically work their way into the community. And I think over time, we're going to see more of these like um, collaborative programs where people are crowdfunding people to come into the community. They're offering scholarships and they're basically finding ways for those that are really passionate to get involved. And the great thing about these is going to be that there's always liquid markets for them. You know, if you want to participate in the upside without being directly in that group, you can buy one or two tokens. You know, you might not be able to get the full suite of benefits, but you're at least able to capture the collective upside of that group. And I think that primitive in and of itself is really, really exciting for anyone, you know, regardless of whatever their financial standing is. Solid. Kinjal, Trevor, any, any more fuel to add? I think there, yeah, I think it's really probably a, a wide open field when it comes to the creativity here. I've heard of, of other communities thinking about doing a um, reissuance of their token where they fractionalize it so that it's a cheaper unit cost if you can't, you know, if they don't allow people to buy a fraction of a token, they, then they kind of make the entire token um, cheaper so that people can actually go and purchase them. So that's like one potential opportunity. Um, I think grants are a really effective way to get people to come in or gifting tokens could be an interesting way of thinking about this. Um, but yeah, it is. It's definitely a um, a problem. I think that is is good to have. It's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting for everybody to to kind of work through, but a positive overall. Yeah, the other thing I would say is opportunities as well to add different like tiers, kind of like the whale folks are doing. But I think right now a lot of these communities are just primarily on Discord or Telegram, and there's opportunities to create you know little points of access via newsletters or other things that folks can kind of pop in, see it's worth their time, and then save up or 
ask Uncle Moneybags for Christmas for their FWB, you know, membership dollars. But I think it's to be solved for sure. Yeah. Can I add one more thing there, Adam? Yeah, yeah, for sure. A trend that I'm noticing is this tool called Source Credit basically allows uh, people to earn tokens for being active in communities. I think this is something we're going to see more and more where if you're active in a community and they're raising their membership costs over time, you should always be able to kind of work your way to that next level. So I think at the end of the day, it's going to be less about financial capital, you know, what your capacity is and just really how much you have to offer. And if you're willing to work hard enough, I don't think there's any community that you can't find your way into. Yeah. Do you guys imagine these creators kind of taking more of an independent approach or a collective approach when it comes to building their DAOs? Like, do you imagine them, for example, let's like, let's play a use case. Like there's an artist, okay, that's well known. Uh, they want to tap into the world of Web3. Do they build their own internal team and branch out and create this DAO? Or do they join some type of artist collective or creator DAO collective and kind of build externally as opposed to internal. You know what I mean? Like, do, mm -hmm. do they take more of the independent route or do they take more of the, the collective type of let's do it together route? There's going to be both. I think um, what I'm starting to realize is that every project needs like a, a leader to kind of like look up to, you know, the degree to which that leader is actively doing everything for the group, I think is where the, the end state is. You know, I think that for a musician in particular, it's easy for people to get involved because they like someone's music, but where I think this is effective is when they have a community of artists around them that they're also empowering and their token is no longer about just their individual project. It's about all the artists in their orbit and a way for them to get involved and capture upside as well. So to answer your question directly, I think it starts out independent for a lot of creators. But what we're going to see be the most successful is those that take their leadership and sort of decentralize that power outwards to other members of their community. Yeah. And I guess just to, just to build off of that, like, I've been fortunate to be a part of DAOs in the past and helping them put together. And I think you guys can all agree that with, with decentralized leadership comes a lot of like bureaucratic processes and, and solidifying who's taking control of what, how do you assign responsibilities? How do you, how do you kind of keep up with accountability? And this is, I feel like a, a way that's very unnatural to our natural way of progressing through life. We know CEOs, we know executives, we know leaders. And you're we're like, we're, we're trying to like re-engineer the system here to kind of, I guess, lead ownership through, I guess, staking or what, what, what you own and the value that you commit. And it's just a different way of thinking, right? And when it comes to, I guess, building these communities, how, how do you kind of transition from the centralized approach of leadership and automate and distribute tasks without really being too over, I guess, overpowering right and kind of preserving the decentralized decision making process like how do you how do you do that for creators feel free so, again anyone. yeah my kind of controversial opinions i mean i run a very kind of traditional top-down you know venture back startup and i think you know in that situation you need to be hyper aligned you're kind of you know dictatorial like here's where we're going fall in line or get out um, I actually see DAOs, in my opinion, as, as kind of uh, being a situation where you want to give people a, a broader direction of where we want to head and then provide tactics and people kind of like run and do as they please. I always think about like the Link Marines, you know, from like Chainlink God to these like meme shit poster lords, like people just like develop such different tactics and they're all kind of like throwing darts largely in the same direction. Versus like, you know, a hyper aligned like Tesla or something pushing towards three metrics and like, and so that's how I think about it. And personally, how I think those things are going to play out, you know, uh, you know I guess uh, most efficiently. So just throwing out a vision and a mission and finding people that kind of collectively align with that, providing them with yeah, tools that, that provides them on that path. 
I mean, the best example I would give is like, you know, the 2016 election. I would say like, you know, Hillary had like top down strategists and like MAGA had tactics, right? Like it was just like go nuts, post some information, tear things down. And I think, you know, really passionate kind of spiritually aligned folks with tactics can do a lot of damage. And I see creator DAOs as being kind of more spiritually aligned than being incentivized by just like pure dollars. And that's where you're going to give people tactics. Let them just like run and do whatever they can. Yeah, for sure. Kinjal, I know you wanted to add something. I, I saw you unmuting yourself for a minute. <laughs> I was just going to say there's, so there's this concept that I feel like has been floating around a lot lately of headless brands. And, you know, many people say that Bitcoin is like the ultimate headless brand or the first major um, headless brand. And when I think of a lot of these collective DAOs, I, I feel like there's a massive opportunity for we, for us to see a lot more you know, headless brands emerge where there's a number of folks who are really calling the shots there, but to the broader public, it really looks like this, you know, collective mission oriented group, and you don't necessarily think there's one person in charge. So I think that's a model we're going to see more and more in the future. And I think it's important in DAOs because um, having like one person be the, I guess, spokesperson for any particular community can lead to challenges we've seen yeah. with like cancel culture and like yeah. there's a risk there and so i think aligning yourself with a with a DAO provides um almost like protection in that regard right we're like as a as a collective you stand for something but it's not necessarily coming down on one person um so that's just like an interesting way of thinking about it i definitely think we'll have both but mm -hmm. um i'm excited about that yeah cooper anything to add no i think these guys know it i think that um you know it's really amazing to see the power of like decentralized communities like from telegram spam groups to like discord groups and whatnot you know like people just in troll boxes together i think that the uh world we're headed in is less about you know one-on-one -on -one relationships with one that you work with and we're just having like a broader community that's all as trevor said headed in the same direction so it's going to be messy and i think there's going to be cases where you know creator DAOs are very top down but then there's also going to be ones that are bottom up and those bottom up ones are at least where i'm most excited about and like you go to see how we can automate tooling just allow them to thrive in a more productive manner. Sure. Uh, I, I think one of the most exciting things that creator DAOs enable is empowering audiences, empowering fans, uh, and allowing them to be a part of, of someone's journey, a creator, an artist, whatever you want to call it, a community's journey more intimately, right? Uh, but I still think there's a problem in, there's a lot of people that want to buy and treat these tokens as investments and speculate and trade, et cetera. And there's a lot of people that want to contribute. I feel like at some point there's going to be more speculators and traders than actual contributors. So how do you kind of prevent that? And I don't know if it's necessarily a bad thing, right? I think that these, these communities, they need both to kind of thrive and survive and to create that hype and engagement that, that keeps it interesting. But I guess like, how do you, how do you motivate fans and audiences to actually build rather than just hold and speculate on these communities? I mean, I think it's ambitious. I think that um, at the end of the day, 95% of people are just going to want to speculate. And I think addressing that out of the gate and recognizing that's the standard is probably a wise thing going into these. And then I think for that 5% of contributors, you know, giving them the proper incentives to keep fighting through the noise and, you know, building regardless of what the token price is at, like just building out that 5% as deep as possible into as many core contributors as possible. That's kind of the end state. You know, you're never going to be able to stop a free market from doing what it wants, but you can't always have a team of people that will go to bat for you no matter what. And the bigger that team is, I think the better you're going to be weathering off whatever speculation trolls come your way. Sure, sure. So I guess from, from that point, then, 
if you get to a situation, let's let's paint like a black mirror perspective for a minute, okay? Uh, if 95% are going to be speculators, traders, and these token prices might actually become like the new type of follower, like uh, stigma, right? When you go on someone's profile, you see they have 2 million, 3, 10 million followers. You're like, shit, like they're popular. Like they know what they're doing. Are these token prices going to introduce like a new way of, of social like experimentation, social valuation on someone's ability, on someone's fame, on someone's, um, I guess, character? Or because we value that right now with follows and likes and views. And now we're introducing like a human IPO market to some extent, a community IPO market to some extent, right? Where people will say, oh, no, he's worth $20. He's not, he's not, he's not the ish, right? Like, is that the kind of world we're transitioning to? I mean, you could certainly imagine a world where there's a high profile YouTube creator who's like, you know what, no more vlogs. And like an activist investor comes in and like, you know, buys a bunch of tokens and starts like, you know, push, you know, voting or kind of pushing for him to do more vlogs. Um, and that's like, you know, probably not the worst thing in the world. You could imagine other things. I'm interested in watching this stuff play out. I think that like the fun part about all of this stuff is there's going to be lots of really interesting positive stuff and negative stuff to build around to kind of solve for. But thus far, you know, at WB, we've had a really great group who responded to turmoil and like, you know, some pretty tough moments with a lot of positivity. It reminds me kind of the early days of being online where it's a lot of positivity, a lot of curiosity and, and good vibes. So I'm going to knock on some wood here. <laughs> vibes alive. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Hey, hey, yeah, go ahead, Cooper. Yeah, I had a comment there that um, I think when the term social token gets thrown out, we always think about creators as like an individual, you know, upside thing where you're betting on the success of one individual person. But um, when we look at brands today, when we look at companies today, like the tokenization of everything is actually about being able to invest in all the projects around you, and creators are just one like very very small fraction of that. So we will see a lot of creators that have tokens around just themselves, but I think the vast majority will be community-based projects and initiatives where the success is not on the back of one person. And I think that that's going to be the far more exciting, you know, area for people to align behind because it's way easier to get behind an idea and a narrative than it is for everyone to just sort of align around one specific creator. Yeah, I'm interesting to see how that that kind of plays out. Uh, and Kinjal, you guys have blockchain capital. Do you have a specific like point of view on how that may roll out in the future? Like, do we, do we, are we approaching like a, a black mirror type of environment where people get valued based off how much they're trading on the market or how much the communities are trading on the market? Yeah, so I think that's one of the bigger like meta questions around personal tokens. So when I think of social tokens, I think of it more around a community or brand rather than us going and valuing a person's life or a person's like, you know, income or value or whatever it may be. And so I think I think of those as two more distinct buckets. Um, the personal tokens obviously get a lot trickier. We've seen some like examples of experiments, you know, Alex's token has been like known to be one of the first experiments there and they're super cool. But um, yeah, I think they can head down like this weird path that we, you know, can imagine some scary outcomes. So probably more on the side of, uh, more focus on the side of like community-based tokens and what that could do. And that community can include a particular individual, but it needs to be focused on like all of the fans and what they do together. Um, yeah yeah i'd be i'd be curious to see how this kind of rolls out in a few years from now if if we do approach some type of black mirror environment where it gets to the point where people see the value of tokenizing their communities and then with that comes the cost of adding a dollar price to what your community's worth and with that comes traders publicly trading speculating pumping and dumping whatever 
uh, and, and people like losing their minds. Like we think like social anxiety is a big thing right now with followers and likes and all that. I wonder if it's going to be like one step further. Uh, and if people will be able to kind of like keep up with that, with their, with their egos and, and whatnot. I need uh, just something I like to inter- entertain and think about more. Uh, one yeah. thing, I, one thing I want to dive into and, because I found the article super, super interesting. Can John Cooper, you guys wrote a really cool piece on microeconomies. Uh, and it definitely fits into the bigger picture of creator DAOs, right? And, and the communities that surround and the, the businesses that they build around that, and the revenues that they attract and at some point distribute to their to their token holders if it becomes legal to that extent, right? Tell me more about this piece that you guys kind of co-opted together, what it's, what, what it's about and uh, give us a rundown. Yeah, so TLDR is I think I've started to notice there's this creator middle class that's forming where there's, you know, as Kinjal mentioned earlier, there's a lot of small businesses that exist online now. And um, for the first time in history, there's now ways to provide financial resources around that. So things like social tokens and DAOs are a way for any community, regardless of side, to basically just spin up a community treasury and then be able to populate that in the ways that they see fit. So I think for this piece, it was really just about addressing that that exists, you know, showing creators that exist in a web two world, you know, they have a discord, they're active on TikTok, they have a Twitch stream, that there's more out there, you know, and just kind of like teeing up that conversation for people to start poking around in this um, creator DAO world was kind of like the main goal of the piece and then highlighting a lot of the tools and uh, solutions to be able to go and do that. I would just add, I think there's, um, we're, we're kind of like going through this global shift where more and more people can make a living online. And you know, fewer people are doing potentially manual labor. Um, Not everywhere, obviously, of course, there's like a ton of manual labor as well. But it's just more viable for people to go online and make a living. Um, But that doesn't mean that you need to be like, you know, top 1% of influencers, there's just, there's this in between area where you can have like a wonderful home on the internet and have a really, you know, strong community that um, effectively provides you with the income that you need to live online and to like produce online, but it's, it's not, um, you know, you're not David Dobrik or whoever. Um, so I think that's really what this is about. And I think the DAO structure or the tokenized community structure is the first time where, well, maybe it's the first time, but you know, it's one of the first times where you can do this in a way that's, you know, easy to spin up cheap. You have like a vehicle for monetization for on-chain revenues. Um, and distributing that value out so that it's not just coming back to one person or entity. And I think it's very on par with what friends is friends friends with benefits is doing, right? And it's one of the reasons why why I joined the group. Uh, mainly to it's a great group of people just hanging out in the Discord and, and really cool friends to meet, but also it was a really cool social experiment on how to create type of like a Soho house type of model uh, where you kind of you, you own a portion of the communities that you're, you contribute to, that you join, that you, the network that you're a part of, right? Trevor, I'd love to kind of hear the story more about how that came to life. I know you talked about that a little bit more in the beginning, uh, but like, how, how did that, how did that idea come to, to mind? And what was the execution like? What were the challenges you faced in, in putting that out? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the reality is I wake up every morning thinking about how to create a better future for creative people, like people that are truly coming up with new ideas and innovating. And I recognize in this kind of web you know, 2.5 creator economy model, there was largely a fixed demand and an increasing amount of supply for whatever you were doing, whether it was Patreon or it was OnlyFans or whatever it was. And I felt like a lot of my peers who had kind of been on this platform treadmill for 10 years really excited about this new model, but recognizing they were also on a treadmill where they had to keep writing substacks constantly to kind of stay alive. And so 
and, and thinking about, you know, creating more collectivist approaches to creating work, it seemed like there was an opportunity to say, well, what if we all came together and tried to create a space collectively that had value because of all of our shared thoughts and ideas and potentially, you know, participate in the upside of the value that was being created there. And so the simple idea was, okay, what if we create a fixed amount of tokens and then create a, a discord that's gated by, uh, you know, like a collab land style uh, mediator. And then as we make this space better, where people want to join, token price goes up, the tokens that you're already holding because you were in will increase in value. And you'll be able to kind of like see the upside of your work and take a day off or a weekend off or whatever that is. Um, you know, was able to work with Cooper quite early on. He's been kind of an incredible shepherd through a lot of this stuff. He was working with like coin artists and, you know, Alex and some others who had created kind of these personal tokens. And it's been this like crazy experiment. You know, I, I first like to run a party, like, is anyone going to come? Is anyone going to come to this thing? And, you know, one day like Mike Shinoda shows up and you're like, what? Or like, you know, Richie Houghton, like a personal hero of mine. And then, you know, my kind of creative heroes are hanging out with my crypto heroes. And I think we kind of succeeded in building this space where, where culture really meets crypto. And that's been, you know, um, in a couple of years, as far as tooling wise, you know, Discord, Collabland, we use SourceCred, um, shout out to Dexter and our team has been building much of our own kind of like in, in, in native kind of proprietary tooling. And then beyond that, I think we've been trying to figure out unique models to kind of get people into this thing without forcing them to exist in the Discord all the time because a lot of yeah. people are interested in doing things with us outside of that individual space. So that's to come. Um, maybe we, we could blab about what's coming down the road later on. No, I love that story. Uh, I think it's uh, one of the more unique groups that, that live online uh, that I came across uh, through Cooper, Crypto Twitter, and all that good stuff and the collaborations that you guys are doing across DAOs. It really like encompasses like the early stages of what creator DAOs will I mean, what I assume will become, right? Uh, and it's it's exciting stuff. So we only have about 13 minutes left, all right? I'm going and jumping into Remo, the platform that we're hosting the event. And by the way, if you are watching this through Cointelegraph, go to meet.blockchainboost.io. Go ask your questions right now because I'll be hitting the three guests with, with some juicy stuff right now, all right? So let's jump into Remo for a minute. Uh, and this one comes from John Dorfman, okay? If you have a community token of zero value, how do you reconcile gas fees for engagement? Good question. I think there's um, a lot of startup costs associated with doing this today. You know, luckily there are other ecosystems built out that it's going to be, you know, negligible to issue tokens. You know, a platform called Coinvise that I work with actively, they now have support for Polygon and Matic. So you don't have to issue a token on mainnet. You can issue it directly on Matic. And it costs about $1 to send a thousand transactions. And so there's solutions that are, starting to come out there. You know, right now what we're seeing is a lot of these platforms are subsidizing gas costs for their creators. So for example, on Rally, if you're sending tokens to people, you don't need to have any gas costs. And I think it just comes down to who you're partnering with and kind of making the case that, um, you know, that partner is able to help you with that journey early on. Yeah, and shout out to Coinvise. I was playing with that all weekend uh, and minting a bunch of meme coins and whatnot. So that, that was a lot of fun. Um, anybody, excuse me, anybody else want to add anything to that? If not, we can move on. All right, this one comes from uh, John D. You guys dropped some of these names already, but let's let's go over them one more time. So the best tools for DAO creation and management. What, what do you guys use? You guys mentioned Snapshot. You guys mentioned Collabland, uh, Coinvise, et cetera, et cetera. Give me, give me the list. I'll take another one here. I'm sorry, I'm hogging the answers, guys. Um, yeah, so you mentioned it. Collabland for token-gated access, I think is fantastic. Gnosis Safe for Custody. This is basically a multi-sig wallet to sort of reduce trust from one person. Snapshot for voting. 
uh, discourse forums for governance. And then this tool called Parcel for treasury management is one I've been using a lot. Last one I'll call out is SourceCred for community engagement. I think with those six-ish tools, you're pretty much set to be able to do, you know, everything that everyone's doing today. Amazing. Uh, I guess the follow-on question for me, what tools need to be built? What, what are the missing gaps that need to be built? And this is really debatable if you guys want to spill some alpha, if there's already stuff in the works, but uh, what tools need to be built to kind of empower creators to, to monetize communities more, organize them, manage them, et cetera? I think one of the um, pieces that I'm really excited about is bringing together voting in a more social manner and having you know, dashboards that are very easy to see what proposals need to be voted on. And, um, you know, I think Discord is great, but having a potential way to chat with people and vote at the same time, or um, sort of like see who's voted for what in the past and create almost like a voting history for a particular wallet. I don't know, there's a lot of creative ways that you can think about like the evolution of what a governance profile could look like. Um, so that's one piece. And then I think the other, and we're starting to see some of this come through with like Tally, or boardroom, I think some of them um, are kind of playing in this realm as well. And then I think also just organizing groups of voters or organizing groups of token holders by particular area or function. So we're starting to see like committees emerge where we have a grants committee and we have a treasury committee and we have so on and so forth. Um, that's a little bit more on the DeFi side, but we're gonna see the same thing I, I think on the creator side. And so what's like the best way for those groups to move forward um, and kind of do what they do best. And I think that's a big, unanswered question right now. Um, that should be exciting. Cool. Anything also, else? Go ahead, Trevor. The Dexter on our team and the, and the Uniswap guys have built kind of a spam bot to fight some of the spammers that are like preying on new people to discords. Uh, and so if, if you're building a community and you especially have like young users, um, perhaps you can kind of ping Dexter and our team and we can help you get onboarded with that because people are getting getting scammed and rugged out here. Dude, every time I join a new Telegram group, I always get a DM from some random user. Hi, you know, it's like, it's like, right hi. Message. Yeah, exactly. Support. Yeah, totally. yeah, exactly. This is a, uh, this is balance for support. Are you having issues? Blah, blah, blah. Um, okay. Next question. Uh, what's to differentiate an executive officer in a corporation from a person in a DAO who's been grinding on the engagement tokens? This one comes from Dan uh, Kennerson. I guess like social clout in that community would kind of be my most obvious answer. You know, I think like when that person posts in a group, you'll see that they get the most emoji reactions and like what they're saying is being heard the most. Um, that's not to say that doesn't happen with executives, but I think the difference here is that they're much more public about their day-to-day -day engagement. So instead of it being like a shareholder memo or something like that, you know, a lot of their words and wisdom are being shared with the community like in real time. And that kind of difference I think holds a lot more weight when people see you IRL or when they see you in Twitter and whatnot. You know, they just value what you say more because they can see that this is a positive sum game amongst everyone. It's not just like your thing. It's like our thing. And I think that that relationship is really exciting and kind of what separates it from the, the team model that we've seen in the past. Awesome answer. Okay. Uh, next one. Uh, this is actually a really, really good question. This one comes from Mike. Uh, can you speak to how DAOs can spend the funds raised through the token sale without deflating the value? Like, I guess from a treasury point of view, right? Like, uh, like how do you regulate uh, that whole schedule and, and determine like what to spend money on at what rate, at what frequency, et cetera? It's a great question. I think everyone's got different takes. I think, you know, one obvious thing that most folks don't recognize is there's ways to do kind of OTC stuff, right? And you can kind of, you know, either like 
lock up things in a multi-sig, or you can kind of like kind of do handshake stuff depending on what you're up to. Um, but I think, yeah, that's a great question. It's going to be different for every DAO, um, depending on how sensitive you are to the token price. Yeah, I think yeah. the most obvious answer here for me is like building um, products first and foremost. So if you are able to get into a situation where you can swap some of those tokens for a USDC or ETH, using that capital to build products that further you know, expand the likeness of the token is fantastic. Putting people on payroll from a DAO, basically, and giving them a monthly allocation for being an active contributor. You know, this is kind of what we're going through at FTB right now, where we were lucky enough to bring on some USDC into the treasury and have a nice bank of capital to empower people. And so we're using that to basically uh, pay people in USDC. We're onboarding outside teams to contract and build products for us. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's less about using tokens to buy them off the open market. It's about trying to empower people that can build the community in a more holistic manner. And, um, you know, in the meantime, I think if you are giving people tokens for work, just be really conscious about how much you're giving away and kind of make sure that those people are in it for the long haul and that you can trust them so that they're not going to immediately go and sell those tokens right away to cover rent or something of, of that sorts. Kinjal, what, what, what do you think? I, I see you nodding your head a lot and smiling. Maybe you have a different take. No, I, I agree. I think that um, maybe this is like a little old fashioned of me, but I kind of think that everyone who has a treasury has the same set of options that like a public company CEO would have, which is basically, do I invest in my own products and services? Do I potentially look for outside sources of growth, which traditionally might be like an acquisition. So you go pay for somebody else's, you know, somebody else's talent or product to come to you. Um, or do I need to diversify my holdings into something that can, you know, help me sort of survive like a winter or something like that, basically. And so I think we're going to see like the same sort of selection within the crypto space, because we have the same issues, right? Like over a longer period of time, if you're holding um, billions of dollars of your token, and the price of the token drops dramatically, then you're kind of sitting on a lot less capital. We saw this happen in after 2017. And so managing that treasury accordingly is going to be important, as well as investing in your own own team's roadmap, as well as potentially seeking ways to grow the overall protocol. Um, so it's kind of like a like a more old fashioned way of thinking about it, but I think it applies the same to communities. Amazing. Uh, I want to throw one more question before I leave you with this final thought. Okay. Uh, this one again, fire round, make it quick. Okay. Uh, where, uh, <laughs> let's see, where was it? Where was it? Where was it? Okay. So if I have a, a concept for a DAO, uh, but I'm uh, like a complete amateur in the crypto space, uh, how do I get started? Like, what do I do? I put out an article today on how to launch a token in five steps. Um, I think it's a nice place to get started. I think this term DAO is really scary. At the end of the day, it's basically just creating a token for people to come and contribute around. You know, you yeah. don't need to deploy a smart contract. You don't need to use an on-chain DAO, have a wallet that's shared and transparent among its members, and then have a Discord group for people to rally around it. And I think you're off to the races. Yeah, and I would even argue that, like, you know, while we, we talk about DAOs not having tokens, there's a, a world where you just build a community. You know, you do it on Discord, you know, kind of like off chain and you kind of figure out how you want to create that token, ask a bunch of questions, kind of like, you know, build in public in a very literal way and get there down the road. Yeah, cool. One thing I wish that I had done while studying is create a DAO for a blockchain org that I was doing and issue a token for them. And if only I had known and been as educated as I am today to do more experimentative stuff like that. But Anyways, uh, for anybody that's watching that's a college student, experiment with the stuff, launch a DAO, create a, a college token around your organization, and let me know. Hit me up. I want to hear how it went. Um, okay, so final question, and it's something I'm asking everyone. 
so <clears throat> back in the early days of the internet, no one really had imagined it become what it is today, right? Web one was really like a read only type of experience until it got eaten by web two. And then we had more of these platforms that brought people together. We had the Facebooks, the Googles, the Instagrams of the world. Uh, and now we're kind of transitioning into this ethos of Web3, of decentralization, of communities, of collective ownership, of transparency, et cetera. What do you guys imagine eating Web3? It's a meta question, man. I was going to say the meta I want a meta. I want a meta answer. <laughs> I mean, we already spoke to it, but I think one of the challenges with kind of having programmable, programmable money is that, you know, advertising was born out of this desire to allow everyone to participate, right? So if, if you're living in a country where you don't have tons of dollars, you can still get on Facebook and do what you want to do. There's a world where like programmable money actually prevents people from participating in communities they could, they could otherwise, if it was ad supported. And so perhaps, you know, we kind of see advertising as the original sin of the internet. As we kind of swing the pendulum back the other way, we go, holy crap, there's people that can't play here. How do we get them back involved? What if you put in ads and we kind of swing back? Um, that's off top. Okay, fair. That's a new point of view I heard, yeah. Anybody else? I gotta hear from all of you, even if it's like some shit answer, I'm curious. You guys are all was, super sharp, that's why I have you here. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, I think it's like this idea of, of like the metaverse, which we I know is like, maybe it's a amorphous idea right now, but um, maybe the next iteration of the web is like when we're actually living online or, you know, just living our lives entirely in this virtual world that we kind of um, go to school and go to work in, like make our friends and hang out with our friends and um, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I think we saw in this past year that we need like human interaction and we need to for like sure. see our friends for sure. But um, whatever that looks like, I think might be the next iteration. Could be. Good answer, Cooper. I would probably say uh, digital nation states. You know, I think like a situation in which we're actually able to coordinate on a global level, regardless of your geography, feels really exciting to me. You know, like V1 of this is basically just like coordinate financially with internet groups of like 100 people. But I think when we think about, you know, the different countries in the world and our borders being disintermediated, I think there's a world in which like governments operate online and sort of crypto is the one that's driving that. And I think when we get into that scenario, we'll start to see some really cool human psychological experiments pan out that we've never really seen before. Amazing answers. I love it. All, all new answers, by the way. Um, so before I let you guys go, uh, give me a quick shout out. Where can we find you and what you're working on? We'll start with Cooper, go to Trevor, and then with Kinjal. Cool. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Koopa Troopa, uh, Discord Koopa Troopa number 9799, and Telegram Koopa Troopa <laughs> now. Nice. <laughs> Trevor? Oops. Yeah, I'm at what.cd. Uh, if you want to get at 3 I just blasted the screen with a little URL right there. I really saved it till the end, bro. I love it. Harper for the for the technology. Nice, nice. Kinjal. Yeah, you can find me um, on Twitter at Kinjal B Shaw. So hit me up there. Perfect, guys. Cheers. You freaking rock. Thank you for being on. Thank you for sharing your insights. Uh, this Thank was you. an amazing session and probably one of my favorites. So before I let everybody go. Uh, and speakers, feel free to sign off. I know you have your things. Go join meet.blockchainbooze.io and we'll continue the conversation. Right now, everyone's going to populate over there. We're going to hang out, drink, and do our, our, our entire deal. Uh, and a really cool announcement. Uh, we're ending the, the, the partnership with Cointelegraph and transitioning into this phase where we're trying to work with more communities and live stream on their behalf. So the next collaboration we're going to be doing is with Lunar Crush. 
Uh, so next week's session is not going to be live stream on Cointelegraph. Uh, it's actually going to be on Lunar Crush. So tune in there, be there or be square. And again, the reason for doing this stuff is Blockchain and Booze has really like manifested into this really fun community hangout. And there is no crypto without community as Lunar Crush kind of coins himself. And what better way than to bridge our reach and our brand uh, and our exposure to more groups online, to more of these DAOs, right? To more of these projects, more of these products and services. Uh, and the next one kind of coming up is going to be with the one and only Lunar Crush, a portfolio of Draper Gorn Home. Uh, they're doing amazing things. Go check them out. I'll flash it a little bit uh, to entertain their brand. But in the meantime, meet.blockchainbooze.io. Go there, meet.blockchainbooze.io. Go there or be square. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Session 60, 60 weeks of blockchain and booze nonstop. I'm impressed that people who are joining back to back are, are still doing it. Thank you for being here. Meet.blockchainbooze.io. Meet.blockchainbooze.io. All right, I'm going to shut up now. I'll see you there. This has been a production of Industry Pods in association with Evergreen Podcasts Network. Hear this and other industry pods at evergreenpodcasts.com, your favorite podcast app, or listen at industrypods.com for your number one virtual conference podcast experience.